0: So when uh, my wife asked me what class I was teaching at Family Vacation, I said, I'm going to teach the class on humility. And I, and, and you know you probably struggle with humility or when your wife, when you say that and your wife does this look. She's like, seriously, what are you teaching on? Seriously, they gave me humility. And, they said, and, then, and she said, "Well." I mean, that, I mean, yes, I understand, you can teach it, you're a very capable teacher, but that's not the first topic I'd give you. I said, yeah, well, Donnie Dillon couldn't make it, so they handed me the class. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so, you know, but I do, man, I'm, and you know, and, and this isn't something that, that, struggling with pride isn't something that I think all of us, all of us are in here because we struggle. We struggle with pride. I really like what C.S. Lewis says about pride. Is It's the root of all sin. Every sin begins with pride. Yes, there are other sins, lust and envy, but all of them, all of them are married to pride. All of them. And if you struggle with sin, you struggle with pride. That's what you struggle with. And so, and I, and I and man, I get it. I get it. Pride's one of these things that, that you know, have you ever been this? I know I've done this. You know, you know, you do things and you think you're being really kind. You think you've been really nice. You're going about your day. And then you realize you did like 30 things wrong because the scripture convicted you. <laughs> it says like, you should take every thought captive. How many thoughts captive have you taken, Clint? Uh, not one. <laughs> you know, like every one of them you should take captive. Man, I had a lot of thoughts. You know, and, and I, get, I, get, I get convicted by the word. And I get convicted by what it says. And in that, we ought to, and every time it does that, we have to, I pray that never ends for us. Because if it ends for us, that means you're Jesus, right? <laughs> if the word stops teaching you, you're Jesus. You don't need to be taught anymore. But we all be taught in the words and in scriptures. And today what we're going to talk about in particular is what to do before pride. Because believe it or not, pride is a conscious thing that we think that we are going to do right before we do it. You know, I set up guidelines and I set up little things that, uh, of little roadblocks in my mind so that I can be prideful later. And today we're going to talk about what those roadblocks are. Because I used, I used to do this when I was right when I was a believer and everything, and I was going to go into sin. I would set it up to go to sin. I'd make sure that I had a night where I was all to myself. It would be a holy night. It's a night for me. When really I needed deep down, I needed a night with community because I knew what I was going to do. Right? Have you all been there? I know, I know I have. I know I have. And that's what this class we're going to talk about today, is what to do before we fall into pride. And believe it or not, there's a time, and we're, and we're going to mainly be in this scripture right here. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 is where we're going to be. There was a time when there was no sin. There was a time when it was perfect. And we screwed it up. (laughs) You know, we screwed it up. Let's read what that looks like, all right? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What's the story right here? Anyone? Adam and Eve. The very beginning, everything was perfect. God made it perfect. Apparently, we could talk to animals. It was perfect, okay? It was perfect. And pride got in the way of that. And we're going. this story right here is about when pride entered the world. It's about when it happened. So the serpent came up to the woman and said, you shall not eat any tree in the garden. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows when you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It sounds so good, doesn't it? Like, he's saying something right here that makes you look at it and like, man, I'm missing out. I'm missing out. Following God, I'm missing out on something by following God. That's how Satan makes it sound. He's like, I need to add this part of my life. Serpent, you're absolutely right. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Imagine he's, like, got a mustache. <laughs> you know? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... And that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who were with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the middle of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, the Lord God among the trees and the garden. Hmm. I remember the first time. I remember the first time I was presented with that forbidden fruit. Because we've all been there, right? We want to blame Adam and Eve and go, oh, they're stupid, it's their fault. But well, let's be honest, if you added Clinton Kelsey in that story, we would have still messed up. Right, we have all, in some way, taken the fruit because we all struggle with sin. Right? Yeah. So I, it's easy for me, and I've I've heard a lot of people like Adam and Eve. It's their fault. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm I believe Clint Hill's the one to put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't Adam and Eve. Just them. It was a whole bunch of people. We've all messed up. We've all done it. And I remember the first time that I really took a bite of that apple. You know, it may not look like it now, but in my youth, I was a fighter. I got in multiple fights in school. I got in multiple. Uh, I mean, it was you know, it was like one of those weird things. It was a drop of a hat, and we 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 throw fisticuffs. You know, I mean, it was one of those things where we would I would I would go down and I would fight. Anyone who did, and I lost a lot, too. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say I won all of them. No, I lost quite a few, you know. And if you'd look at me wrong or you would get in the face of another person that I loved, I was in your girl, because I was an angry and contentious person. And there was one time in high school I got in a fight because of something, uh, because I thought was virtuous at the time. Turns out it's ridiculous now, but at the time it's so virtuous. A guy looked at me, and he said, with those eyes of anger, he looked at me straight in my soul. And he said, Yo mama." And that's when I said, "D Hill is a saint." <laughs> that's my mom, D Hill. <laughs> and we went at it. We fought. Uh, got you know. I mean, we <laughs> we rolled around and uh, some people you know threw us off. The principal broke us up. It was in the middle. <laughs> We did it all dumb. But anyway, you know, it was like, it was one of those things, like, I couldn't deny I was in the fight either. I remember being in the principal's office, like, I know you fought. And I was like, prove it. <laughs> Who do you think pulled you off, Clint? <laughs> Pro- prove it? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't know now. Huh? So, but he said, mama. <laughs> and he was a Christian from a Christian home. I was not a Christian. Um, I played Christianity pretty good. I, pray, I played the part. Like, I would go to church every Sunday because my mom and dad wanted me to go to church. But in my heart, I really did not believe. I really had, didn't want anything to do with God, all right? I was angry at him. Uh, in my alone time, I said I was an atheist, but I didn't come out and say I was an atheist at this time. Um, and, uh, but he was a Christian. He was from a Christian home. In fact, we did a, a Bible school program after school because my grew up in a really small town. That's just what you did. Uh, and we were in it together, and we, you know, we did a lot of things uh, together at at the church, Um, and so, uh, you know, and, and honestly, about that fight, I don't remember who won. That doesn't really matter, but what I remembered is what followed. His mom, being the good, virtuous Christian woman that I thought was, you know, what a family should be and what he did, and if he's a good Christian man, I was like, why is he talking about my mama? But anyway, that didn't matter, you know. His mother thought it would be a great idea for me and him to have a sleepover to make things men's, all right? And nothing makes you feel more empowered as a man than as a high schooler being made to sleep at another person's house that you don't want to be. I remember telling my mama, I ain't doing it. I defended your honor. You should defend my honor against her, you know, like I would say all these stuff. And my mom was like, you're doing it. I'm like, ah! And they said they're a good Christian family, Clint. They're a good Christian family. I said, okay. Okay. So I went. It was the most awkward sleepover ever in my life. He sat in one corner, and I sat in mine, and we sometimes made eye contact, and then we'd look away. And, um, you know. And after a couple hours, his mom made it a thousand times weirder the church lady from the good Christian family came into her room and saw that we weren't even acknowledging each other or trying to make amends. She came into the room and lectured us about uh, how uh, community and how being together is important, how boys should just get along. They shouldn't fight. And then she did something that really wrecked my world forever. She threw down a Playboy magazine, and she said, share it. No. It was awkward. But I shared it. It was my first introduction to pornography. I was abused as a kid. I knew how it worked, but I didn't know that what pornography was. I didn't know I was never I didn't know that happened to other people, all right? I didn't know any of the in the stuff that came with it. It was my first introduction to it. Um and, I, you know, I discovered a whole new world. And they were all lies, by the way. Every single one of them were lies. Uh, the people in pride, these people uh, looked happy. They looked like joyous. They looked like they wanted, uh, they looked like their past didn't bother them. And that was something that I didn't know. The thing that, uh, about the, the magazines and, and, uh, and I was abused. I was a wounded heart. I've been through wounded heart. I've, I've acknowledged it all now. But the people in that sin looked more inviting than the people in the church. And it was weird because a church person introduced me to it. It's all lies, by the way. And that's the thing. When Satan comes to you and he says, did God really say that? The fruit looks so good when you're sitting there and going, I want that. Whatever he's, whatever he's tempting you with and whatever he's putting before you in mean, pride, you look at it and go, man, I want, I, want, I want that. I want what they have. It taught me an- another thing, that when church people see real-life problems meet church ethics, real-life was a more realistic approach to solving a problem. that real life was a more realistic approach to solve a problem than, than the church. And this introduction to sin that led me on a path that nearly destroyed my whole marriage. My whole marriage, six years into marriage, Kelsey looked at me and said, it's either them or me, I'm leaving, I'm out. I'd like to tell you that right off the bat, I was really willing to give up that. But it took a lot of counseling. It took a lot of prayer. It took a lot of fasting. It took wounded heart. It took me humbling myself, looking at it and going, I'm not going to do that anymore to choose my wife. It took God literally transforming my mind like he talks about in Romans chapter 12. Being transformed to truly look at my sin in a way that was disgusting and what it really was, which was death. Death. I listened to that serpent, man, and I bit into the fruit just like Adam. Because here's the thing. Serpents come in all shapes and sizes. We, we must be on the outlook of what they can do and what they can bring. Snakes always appeal to your pride. They make sin seem more realistic and a logical solution, but will lead you down a <sighs> disgusting road that leads to death, slavery, and misery. And that's really where our pride leads to. Jesus said it like this, I came to give life and life to the fullest. The the thief comes to, can you finish it? Still kill, and destroy. He means what he says. It's not cute and it's not fun and it's not one of these things. He's talking about your sin will destroy the things that you love. But I've come to give you life. But in pride, we get those reversed. We get those reversed. We some strange reason think the enemy has come to truly free us in this moment. And that is a lie. And we look at it and you look at it and go, man, that's not me. Open up your heart because it is more you than anyone else in here. Because I said it's not me for years. And it turns out God was looking directly at me. Directly at me. So here's some, um, here's some four characteristics if you want to live without pride. Some four things that we can do that really, really help in living without pride. And it's all going to be found in, in, we're going to be right in here in in Genesis chapter 3. So verse 1, we're going to look at that real quick. Verse 1, number one point, prideful people talk to serpents, okay? Prideful people talk to serpents. Not everyone has the benefit of knowing that they're talking to a snake like Eve did. I mean, my serpent Came in the form of a lady that went to church every week that everyone said was a God-fearing woman. And maybe your story is like mine, where the villain didn't look like the villain should. And to identify the villains, what we need something is what Adam and Eve did not do. We need community. We need community. Now, you're going to look at, maybe look at me and go, but Adam and Eve didn't have community, Clint. They were just on their own. No, there's a third person there that's not in that story. Who's that third person? God. And they decided they could do it on their own without him. They didn't go to their community. The community is where God works his best work. Hey, y'all have all been there. We've all been in small groups or cells, and when we're all talking about things, and someone goes, I'd watch out for that person, man. I'll watch out for that person in your life because they don't have your best interests. They don't want you to follow God. And what's our response when that happens? You don't know them. You don't know them. And what usually happens? Surprise. right. And there may be that one time when they did come to Christ, but let's be honest, that's not the norm. That's not the norm. And that doesn't mean that we completely neglect those people. That means we need a new strategy to reach them, okay? That's very important. Because you think, well, I need to cut off these people from the rest of my life. No. You need to rethink how you're going to reach them for Christ and not be a spiritual Rambo. You need to be in community with each other. We need the community. We need doors slamming very loud. So (laughs) community is something that I continually go back to in my life. You can't do it on your own. In John chapter, First John one six says this. I want to read six and seven. First John chapter one verse six and seven. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So if we claim to be godly, but you're doing it on yourself, you are not being godly. You are being sinful. Because you can't do it on your own. Being the, in the light of Christ means spending time and allowing others to transform you with his word. To speak truth to each other. To be open with each other. Conf- to, to confess our sins. One, that's a very. That's a man. That's a freebie right here. I didn't expect to go into that, but my reading time today in Galatians it talked about confess your sins to one another. Why? So that you can carry your load. We got that backwards. We expect people to carry our load and then we carry our burdens. And that's wrong in community because we share our burdens with each other. So then I can do my part in the church. And living in pride, you get those backwards. And we can't do that. We have to share our burdens with each other in the community. Walking in light means, means two things. is having fellowship with each other, talking with each other, and being in the blood of Jesus that purifies all sin. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, it talks about this. You've heard this verse. And though a man might prevail against, uh, who, uh, against one who is alone, two Will stand with him. And this is the most, one of the most famous verses of all of scripture. A threefold cord cannot be quickly broken. A threefold cord is a cord that's been braided together that, are, that is intertwined with each other. And you know what that cord does when it's intertwined with each other? It makes it stronger. Because the tension isn't on just one cord, and now it's on three. And when we have community with each other, and you, and we have the blood of Jesus Christ, that bond and that that rope cannot be broken, is what the scriptures say. The blood unites us and bonds us with the light. And since it purifies us from sin, it can help the community identify what pride looks like in our life. Community is important. The second thing to remember, so the first thing is prideful people don't talk to serpents. The second point is prideful people add to God's word. Prideful people add to God's word. Notice this in verse 2. It says, and the woman said to the serpent, after he said, hey, eat this apple. And let's be honest, I know we kind of joke about that and everything, but the serpent talked to her. That should be a red flag, all right? For some strange reason, it's not, all right? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of any fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. It's always making me laugh. Because in verse 3, notice that, look at that little part. It says, neither shall you touch it part. God didn't say that. God never said you can't touch it. God said in actually Genesis chapter 2 verse 16, he said, The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat of the tree of the Garden of Eden, but, you, uh, but must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. He never said you can't touch it. Now, it's a good idea not to touch it. All right? I'm not saying that, you know, that doesn't mean you can use it as a hand grenade. Or I, don't know what the, you know, I don't know what they did with the fruit, okay? But he did not say you can't touch it. God just said, don't eat it. And she added, you can't touch it. Pride lives where tradition is more important than God's words. It lives there. It lives there. Now, is it a good idea? Yes, it's a good idea. But don't speak like God said that because he didn't. He didn't say that, at least anywhere that's written down in our scriptures. That we that we I imagine they had more conversations than what was just written down right here. But pride lives where tradition becomes more important than God's words. In Mark chapter seven verse thirteen, it says, "Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many other things like that." What he's talking about right here is the yeast of the Pharisees. The yeast of the Pharisees lived in traditions being more important than the physical manifestation of the word of God in Jesus. (laughs) They were more excited about their tradition, like, you can't walk on Sunday because la-da-da-da-da. And they missed the fact that God was walking with them and said to a guy that's been invalid his whole life, walk. And he got up and walked, and they're like, he should sit down. That's 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 what traditions do. That's what it does. Now, are there some good traditions? Absolutely, there's some good traditions. Every December 25th, I celebrate a tradition. It's a tradition. A big red man comes down our our chimney. It's a tradition. But the holiday ain't about the big red man in our house. It's about Jesus being born, and we're going to celebrate it. Tradition. Did you know communion can become a tradition if all you do is you take the cracker and you take the juice and you do nothing else with it? It's a tradition. And you've nullified the meaning of what it truly is. That Jesus was with us on earth. And we miss it. Come sing before lessons. If you just come like and I've seen this, man, I've seen this a lot, and it drives me insane. Where we'll be doing church. And we sing before church, and people are getting up there, and they're singing songs like, Blessed be your name, I haven't had my coffee yet, and my voice is ill, a threat, I'm singing off-key. It says make a joyful noise, not a good one. A joyful noise, it's a word that we're singing, and that song has one of the best verses ever written. It's blessed be your name. On the road marked with suffering, and when there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. And when we just get up there and we start singing songs, and we do this with any song. I don't care if you're from a traditional church or a non-traditional church, but if you just get up there and like, well, we just sing on Sundays, you are miss the point of worship. We missed it. And it makes me sad because traditions have become more important than Jesus. We can't do that. And we're all susceptible to it no matter what church background you're from. We need to let God's word do the talking in our lives. In our pride, we add and we subtract. The word of God where we're really saying is uh, when we add to the scriptures and we take away from the scriptures, what we're really telling God is I know better than you. You should have added this or this is a too hard of teaching for right now, God. So we need to take this away. Yeah. I know. And some things in the scriptures are hard. Look, I'm a minister and it's hard. It's hard to do the things of Jesus, but it's beneficial. It's easy to run to a computer for all my problems. It's hard to face my problems and see freedom come from that. Tradition will say, take the easy route. And don't do that. Don't do that. Let the scripture do the talking. Jesus isn't concerned about the quantity of people following him. Although he does want the whole world to follow him, but he's not concerned about that. Jesus desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. It says that in First Timothy chapter 2 four, yes. But Jesus is concerned of the quality of the people that follow him. One of my favorite verses of, of stories of all time is John chapter six. Did you know that Jesus gives such a hard message and there's about there's around probably five to 10,000, 10,000 people here. We have 400. Can you imagine 10,000 people there? And Jesus gives this lesson that is so hard. All of them leave, but 12. I don't care what church you're from, you're getting fired after that sermon, okay? He preaches such a hard lesson that they're like, I can't do this. And they walk away. And what Jesus does is he looks at those 12 and he goes, are you going to walk away? And Peter goes, where are we going to go? That's the kind of follower that Jesus wants. I don't. It's hard. But your truth, it's not easy. But I put my hope in you. It's hard. And when we start struggling and we start talking to people about, and I've, I've reached more people for Christ in talking through my struggles than I have my victories. When someone comes up and goes, I've been abused as a child. You have no idea what it's like to be raped. You have no idea. And me, I get to go, yeah, I do. And it sucks. But there's one who can give hope in it. Don't add to God's word. Don't do that. That's where pride lives. So, prideful people don't talk to serpents. Our prideful people do talk to serpents. Prideful people add to God's word. The third thing is, prideful people call serpent Lord. Something stood out to me in this story in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It says this. In their act of freedom and rebelliousness, they took a bite into that apple. And they received the promised freedom that actually gave them slavery. They got what they wanted. They wanted to be like God with their minds open. And it did. And it didn't produce the freedom that the serpent said it would bring. It brought death. Because the serpent is a liar. He's a liar. And in that moment, what they were really doing is they were looking at God and going, I'm not going to submit to you. And they looked at the serpent and said, You know better. I'm going to submit to you. And every time we sin, and every time we choose sin, and we choose and say, This is what I'm going to do, forget the whole world, what we are really doing is going, God, I'm not going to bow my knee to you. I'm going to bow my knee to Satan because he knows better and he gets me. And it's just a Friday night, God. I just need to let loose one time. Pride, it brings death. It brings death. It, br- it brings things that are just, you feel, it promises you one thing. You know, I remember when I was in, in, in sin, it would promise me pleasure, and it promised me fulfillment, and it promised me all of these things. And what it left me with was just ash. Where it, where, when I'd eat it, It'd go into my stomach, it'd make me sick, and I'd vomit. And then I'd return to it because I didn't know any different. It was terrible. They were bamboozled. The enemy tricked them in their pride to disobey God, and the repercussions of it is we are still being felt to this day. Which, that leads me to say this, guys. Your pride right now what's going on in your life if you choose to follow god and repent of it and change you know who's going to be affected the most your children and your children's children and your children's children's children because are we still being are we still being punished for adam and eve's sin yes Pride promises you freedom and it gives you slavery. And it not only affects you, but affects future generations. And I do think, I would like to think, I don't want to think Adam and Eve are vindictive and mean, you know. I'd like to think if Adam and Eve sat down and they counted the cost of everything and the result of the action today could see that God would have to die on a tree for this action, that this would cost them their home, it would cost them their relationship, that God, the God that they had no shame for before, now they live in total shame with. I think when they see all the repercussions of that, they would look at that and go, I'm not doing that. I'd like to think they think that, but I don't know. Maybe they would. I don't know. Romans 7.5 says this. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions around the law, we were, at work, uh, we were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Meaning, while we're living in our flesh and our sinful desires, all we are, we are producing a fruit, believe it or not. It's just a fruit of death. I don't know how many of you are involved with small children. I don't know. I, I, I got a kid. I love my kid. I love both my kids. Don't think I just love one or the other because I said I love my kid. All right, you know? <laughs> don't go, don't now go go up to Asher and Lily and go which one does he like more? You because know? it's Asher, and um, you know, and so <laughs> 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 she's gonna listen to this one day, and she's gonna go, mm, well, that's why it's Asher, and uh, you know, <laughs> and so. <laughs> and so <laughs> And, and so, but I mean, I, lo- I love my kids. I love them both. I love them so much. I would do anything for them. And when they're hungry, I'm not going to give them a razor blade to eat. You laugh, but that's what sin does. You're giving them something that will destroy themselves, that will kill them. And, and they, you know, their esophaguses might get to the point where they can handle a razor blade being swallowed. They could. But that doesn't mean their intestines can. That's what pride is. That's what you're giving future generations. You're going, here's my razor blade. Take it or leave it. And we have a choice right now to go, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to change right now, and I'm going to have effect on future generations. Pride also was saying that you th- what you do is insignificant, and that's very false. Because what you do is magnificent for the Lord. And it has repercussions like crazy. There's a guy who who baptized me. uh, And y'all have have heard the story, so I'm not going to recap it. But one thing about him that you should probably know is, you know how many people he's baptized? Me. And because of that, and and I love calling him, and I tell him about all the baptisms that are happening. And he's like, it's not because he hasn't studied with people he lives kind of a Jeremiah life (laughs) where it seems like everyone he chooses just runs away. And there's some things that he could probably change. There is, but... But I love talking to him about the baptisms in our lives and he's like, I feel like every time you have a victory, Clint, I have a victory. And it goes forward and forward and forward and you get to see those victories when you just take a shot and you just take a chance. God's rules do not, or God's rules bring freedom. And God wants us to be alive, and that was his goal from the very beginning, to live. You know, when he gave us life and he breathed life into us, right at the very be- in Genesis chapter 2 and 1, when he's, when he's breathing, when he brings man to earth, he says, be fruitful and multiply. He doesn't say, one day you're going to die. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, be fruitful and multiply because I want good things for you. I want good things. His, his ways bring freedom. One of my favorite songs is by a guy named Chris It's called The Wonderful Cross. The chorus goes like this. The cross bids me to come and die and find that I may truly live. What a great thing. Because Jesus' way does bring Freedom, and it brings life. And living in pride, we don't get that. We don't get that. So, recap. Prideful people talk to serpents. Prideful people add to God's word. Prideful people call the serpent Lord. And the very last thing is prideful people try to hide things from God. And verse 8, when they heard the Lord God come in the garden of the the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Before we fall into pride, we try to get crafty with ourselves, don't we? (laughs) You know, we try to figure out like, oh, no one was going to see what we're doing. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. Who's here? No one's going to see what I'm doing on Friday night because my door's locked and my windows are shaded. So no one's going to see, whatever sin it is. No one's going to know that I really bought this because it made me feel good about myself because I really need people's validation more than what God says about me. We try to hide things from ourselves. We try to hide from the truth. And I don't think we do sin at a certain hour at a certain place and God will somehow miss it, you know. Like I say, 2 a.m. and God's like, I don't know what happened. It was 2 a.m. I didn't see it, you know. God's omnipresent and He's always there. God knows everything. He even knows our thoughts before we think them, which also terrifies me. Which is also a thing that I wonder too. If I'm going to get to heaven one day, and God's like, "Man, you got some weird stuff." <laughs> I mean, he's like, you know how it said, "Don't kill like people, Clint." And if you murder people in your heart, you murdered people. Yeah, you're a serial killer. <laughs> I can't hide from God. I can't hide from God. He knows it. He knows it we can't hide. He's there. It's not like when they, you know, it's not like when they ate the fruit and they hid, God was, and I love that because, you know, when God walks around in the cool of day, he goes, where are you? I think God knew where they were, right? He created the whole, he knows. He's giving them an opportunity to come clean because that's who God is. He's giving them an opportunity to come clean. It's not that God doesn't know where they are, I can see everywhere but that bush.
1: You know I mean?
0: No, he knew. He's giving them the opportunity. Hebrews 4.13 says this, Nothing in creation is, is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So why do we hide? And why do we clear our search engines? Why do we lie where we were about the night before? And it's not because he doesn't know. It's because we saw the, the, the fulfillment of our pride brought death, and we are ashamed of it. Paul says it like this, and if you live in pride, you know this verse. Why do I do the things that I don't want to do, but the very thing I do want to do, I don't do? Am I the only one that has gone to that verse over and over again? and maybe it's self-body image, and maybe it's, you know, and, and maybe it's not things like, like pornography or, or, you know, a lust or, or, you know, insecurity, but maybe it's just like you've got to change your view on what the scriptures say because God knows better than you. There's a huge movement right now, and we're coming into a big storm where people are going to say that the Bible says one thing when it clearly doesn't. And we've got to choose. Are we going to follow the word of God or are we not? It's not like God's words changes and God's like, oh, yeah, yeah I thought about that, yeah. It's a good point. <laughs> we are secretly hoping that our sin will not come through. Why? Because we want to control it. When we control, we feel like control prevents pride. And if you really think about it, control prevents pride from becoming humility. <laughs> when we surrender and we give up control to God is when our pride becomes humility when we become truly humble. We must give up control. So these four points, they'll help you guys. They'll help you. One, prideful people do not talk, or prideful people talk to serpents. Two, prideful people add to God's word. Prideful people call the serpent Lord. And prideful people try to hide things from God. I want to encourage you today, guys. When, maybe Satan's lied to you to the point where, you're like, it's just pride and I got to live that way. That's a lie. You don't. You don't. When we give that up to God and we trust that He can do something with it, something truly remarkable happens. You know what the remarkable thing is? Is when we truly die to self and we give it to Him and He does something with it. You know what that's called? Becoming like Jesus and trusting Him and doing what He says. I want to encourage you guys, and, and, and after, when I, when I did this class and everything, and, I, you know, we joked about teaching and everything, this class was one of the hardest classes I have ever written and gone through because it, I'd love to tell you I'm successful at these things. Guys, right now I'm speaking to you out of my weakness. One of the things that I have been convicted that I need to change. I need to change. I need to allow God to reign. So in my journey, I'm going to invite you to come with me because I can't do it alone. And we're going to do it how God says. And I want to submit to only God. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of it. It's exhausting. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and, God, we, we lift up our hearts. We lift up our motives. We lift up our soul, Father, God. We lift up our mind. God, everything. We lift up everything to you, God. God, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of living in pride. I'm tired of calling sin holy and good. I'm tired of the charade. God, I don't want to be like the. I don't want to be fake, Father God. I want to be like your son who was alive and free and didn't have to deal with this, Father that knew you in ways that, God, we truly just, we want to experience what we want to do, Father. God, help us kill our pride and crucify it to a tree. Because, God, in doing that, we realize that we can might find and that we can truly live if we do that. Let us submit to only you. In your holy, majestic name, I pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.